Shalom Aleichem. Shavua Tov to all of you, listeners of this great station that broadcasts only Divrei Torah, Divrei Musa, Divrei Orerut, and religious music. This is Rabbi Albaz from SLC, and I'm going to be talking about Parashat Terumah, which we read yesterday. As you know, whenever a community wants to build a shul, synagogue, usually what would happen, typically, you have some leaders come get together, and they plan out how they would raise funds in order to build the synagogue. Sometimes what they would do is they'll make, let's say, a dinner, a beautiful dinner with uh, music and speakers and so on, and then they make an appeal, and with the appeal, they get some seed money in order to start the construction of the synagogue. Very, very rarely, that money that they get initially would be enough to build the synagogue. Typically, 15 to 20% is what they get at the very beginning. But there is one exception to this rule, and that is when the Bnei Israel were building the Mishkan in the desert. In the desert. What happened there? They made an appeal, all right. When they made the appeal, Everyone participated and brought in whatever they could. They had so much material that they brought in that there was more than enough to build the Mishkan. It was unbelievable. And he, they made a tremendous effort. And they did, they did it with their own heart, their own free will. No one cursed them, forced them to bring whatever they brought. But I would like to concentrate a little bit about the kind of materials that the Torah tells us about. Well, nowadays, obviously, when you build a synagogue, what we ask money, the green, that's what you need. In those days, they needed actual materials. So the Torah tells us, this is the teruma. Zahab, Vachesef, and Hoshet. Gold, silver, and copper. That's the first three that the Torah lists. Then it goes on. And it lists wool, you know, wool, material, wool, but three different colors. Techelet, Techelet is like a bluish type. Argaman, Argaman is more like a purple. Tulad Shanim, the something else, scarlet. But these are these are all these same same thing. They're wool but different colors. Veshesh, linen, azim, the hair of the goat. Then ve'orot elim me'odamim, rams skins that were dyed in red. Then they had skins from tehashim. Tehash was a very special animal that Hashem brought in for that particular uh, construction of the Mishkan. shitim and wood, strong, nice strong wood, with acacia wood. Then it lists shemen lamaor, oil for the light, to light the menorah, 
בסמים לשמן המשחה ולקטור את הסמים. Add spices in order to make oils, to anoint, let's say, Kohen Gadol or later on kings, and at the same time they're also uh, anointing or, uh, the, the, the kelim, and lictoret asamim, ketoret. They also need spices in order to make the girl, the spice, the uh, incense. And finally, precious, precious stones. Abne Shoham, Abne Miluim, for the breastplate and for the effort that the Kohen Gadol was wearing. Okay? Now, question comes up over here. Well, it's listing these, uh, the Torah starts by listing these, th- these materials in descending order of monetary value. Zahab is gold. Gold is expensive. Kesef, silver, less expensive. Nechoshet, copper, is less expensive. And then again, the wools, the linen, the goat hair, and so on, the oils. But then, at the end, it lists the precious stones. Abne Shoha ve Abne Miluim. Now, these were very expensive. We talk about precious stones here. Why are they listed at the end? They should be, they should be the first before the Zahav even. They're very expensive stuff. And let me give you two answers to that. One answer is from Rashi Alava Shalom. Rashi Akadosh says in the Torah it says, "Vehanisiim heviu et abnei Ashoham veet abnei Miluim." The Nisiim, the leaders, they brought in these precious stones. What happened with the leaders? Well, when they were about uh, to get uh, the materials from the people, the leaders appro- approached Moshe Rabbeinu and said, you know what? First, get all the materials you can get from the people. And whatever it's missing, we'll fill it. No problem. Now, uh, something like that happens today. You're building a synagogue and someone comes over to you and says to you, you know what? Get whatever you can get. I'll supply the rest. That's quite commendable. And that's very, very nice. But Hashem didn't like the idea. You're building a mishkan where you're going to bring the sacrifices, where people are going to come to be closer to Hashem. Hashem is saying, you took a laid-back attitude. You were lazy. Instead of coming up and saying, okay, we are g- we're the first one that will come and give you, they waited until the end. That was not so uh, commendable. And therefore, when it says, she says, the yud of Nisim is missing to show that Hashem was not so happy with that. So being that this, uh, uh, the, the, this Abne Shoam, Abne Miluim were brought in uh, with the Nisim that all the way at the end, so they listed them all the way at the end. That's one answer. The answer, another answer is from Yunatan ben Uziel. 
Yonadam Be'oziel says the following. He says, the Vehanesi'im Heviu, the word Nesi'im is written without a Yud. Nesi'im without a Yud means what? Ananim, the clouds. Like we say all the time, Ma'ale Nesi'im Berakim Lamatar Asa. Nesi'im is clouds. So he says that the Abnei Shoham, the Abnei Miluim, were brought in with the clouds, by the clouds, a miracle from Hashem. Hashem brought them as a miracle. So being that they were brought in without any effort from the people themselves, they were listed last. We believe that every time a person does something, whatever, you have to make every effort possible to really keep that, keep doing until you finish the mitzvah. Can't just stay in the middle and say, no, uh, forget it. There's a little bit, some kind of obstruction there, so, oh, forget it, that's it. No. We have to make every effort possible. And in this particular case, uh, there was very little effort or no effort at all. Agadosh Baruch brought them in. Now, Hashem as we know, even a small donation from a poor has more value to Hashem than a much bigger donation of the rich. And I'm going to give you a small illustration, an anecdote about King Agrippas I. Now, what are we talking about over here? Agrippas I, obviously, if we say Agrippas I, there was an Agrippas II, that's true. They were both king of Judea. Judea is Israel, but at that time they called it Judea. What happened there? What, what is the time frame that we're talking about? Okay, just for about spending about a minute to give you a little bit about Jewish history. Uh, we all know about Hanukkah, the history of Hanukkah. We all know about the Hashmonaim. There were five brothers, Hashmonaim. They fought the Greeks. They were uh, successful in chasing the Greeks out of Judea. Unfortunately, throughout the war, which lasted for quite a bit, quite a number of years, four of the five brothers died in the war. Only one survived, Shimon. Shimon survived, and because they put in their life into uh, saving Eretz Israel. In talking of appreciation of their Mesirut Nefesh, the Bnei at the time, they crowned Shimon as a king. Meaning that will be, if he's the king, then that means his children and children and grandchildren, will all, they were like a, a new dynasty of kings. Whether that was right or wrong, Obviously, uh, that's something else. Uh, they were Kohanim. Uh, a king should be from uh, uh, the dynasty of David and Melech, but whatever. That's what, that's what they did. So, Shimon al-Sadiq, uh, I mean, no, no, no not Shimon al-Sadiq, Shimon al-Melech. Uh, of course, he was very pious. He was, you know, himself. All the Hashmonaim uh, were uh, Bnei Torah and and they uh, observed the Torah properly. 
but then, once they were gone, the, his children were less, and the grandchildren were even less. All the way to the end, almost all of them. No Torah, no Mitzvot, hardly ever. They learned from the Romans uh, the intrigues that were happening in the courts of the Romans happened here, over here, sometimes killing this one, killing that one in order to be the king. It, it, was, it was unbelievable. Then they, to make things worse, Herod, who was Hurdus, called Hurdus, he was uh, the grandson of someone from Edom that converted to Judaism. So basically he was Jewish, but not his ancestry was not. But because his father had very good relations uh, with the Roman Empire at the time, so his father you know, had a very high position, and eventually he became the king. Herod, it was a rasha. It was a rasha mirusha. It was such a rasha that you know, even he killed even his own children because they were, he was not from the dynasty of the Hashemunahim. The children were. He was afraid that uh, it would be a threat to him, so he got, him, he got rid of got rid of his wife too. Also, his wife was from Maryam, was from Hashmonai descent. Then came his grandson, that was Agrippas the first. That's the one we're talking about. Agrippas the first was different from the rest of them, in that. He was not a tremendous tzaddik, but he did follow uh, many rules, many laws of the Torah. And the Midrash says that, like when it came to bringing the Bikurim, the first fruits, which usually used, the Bnei Yisrael used to bring the very, very first fruits, take him to the Beit HaMikdash, they put him in a basket, put it on their shoulder, and walk into the Beit HaMikdash and give him to the Kohen. King Agrippas I did that. He actually brought fruits, put them in a basket, put them on his shoulder, goes to the Mikdash, showing subjugation, recognition and subjugation to Akadushwar. That was one. And so he did follow something. Another another thing that the Midrash was saying that uh, in those days when they had Hatan Kalag going um, then they had like a whole procession people uh, behind them. And normally when the Hatana Kala and the procession is going by, is going, is, you know, it's passing by, uh, if we come to it and want to, uh, if we want to pass, then we're supposed to wait for the, for the Hatan Kala procession uh, to go and then we can pass. So one time, the Midrash says there was a procession like that. And Agrippas I was coming with a royal chari uh, chariot, his entourage. And the procession wanted to split, let him go first. And he said, no. Emotion, no. Keep going. He let him go first, even though he was the king. So he had some kind of tzitkut uh, uh, in him. Now, the story of King Agrippas I that I'm going to mention, which is appropriate for what you're talking about, it says that 
one, one day, uh, Agripas told the Kohen Gadol in the Beit HaMikdash, he says, this in this particular day, I'm going to bring 1,000 olot, 1,000 korbanot. So I want you to close the Beit HaMikdash for everybody else. No one can bring anything. You're going to be busy with my 1,000 sacrifices that day. So they followed the instructions, the instructions of the king. Lo and behold, sometime during the day, a poor man comes with two doves. A dove is like a pigeon. Like a pigeon. A pigeon. A hamama. And uh, he tells the, the Kohen over there, I would like to bring, you know, a sacrifice, these two, these two doves. The Kohen says, I'm sorry, I can't. I have specific instructions from the king not to accept anything. So he started appealing to him, started begging him, please, look, I'm a poor man. Every day I go to the forest and I catch four doves. Two of them is my panessa. I eat them. The other two, I bring them here for a korban. And when I do, as a recognition to Hashem that he gave me my panasa, I'm always successful the next day. Somehow, I do catch another four. If I don't bring these two today, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? It's going to cut my panasa. I may not catch tomorrow anything. So he has so rahmanut on him. He had mercy on him. He said, okay, I'll take them. And he brought those to all of them. That same night, King Agrippas I had a dream. And in the dream, he was told that those two doves of that poor man that they brought into the Beit HaMikdash were more important to Hashem than all the 1,000 olot that the king brought in. You hear Abutai? Akadosh Baruch Hu doesn't look at the monetary value only. HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at the effort that a person does, the enthusiasm, the will, uh, the excitement, the happiness. Is he smiling when he brings it in? Or ah, it's something that's okay, it's forced out of him. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at. There's a, a tremendous lesson to learn from him. Very often, we do things just by rote, without even thinking what we are doing. We go to synagogue, we pray without kavanah, no effort. We don't make an effort to have any concentration what we're doing. Sometimes, not always, of course, but sometimes. We give tzedakah and it looks like someone is yanking money out of us. We do chesed, but no smile. We talk in the synagogue. We make no effort whatsoever to try to keep quiet in the synagogue and concentrate on the prayers, Rabbutai. This is a sickness in many 
synagogues in our community. Hacham Obadiah Yosef, Allah Shalom, he said that the one that speaks in a synagogue, Gadol Avono Mineso, Gadol Avono Mineso, his sin is too great to bear. Where do we find these words? Where do we find these three words? We find them in the Torah, Parashat Bereshit, Perek Dalet, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Vayomer Kain El Hashem Gadol Avoni Mineso. Listen, Rabotai, listen. You should shake and tremble. Cain said to Hashem, What did Cain do? He killed his brother. Murder. He killed. When Hashem confronted him, he said, Gadol Avoni Mineso. My sin is too great to bear. And the person that speaks in the synagogue, Gadol Avoni Mineso. I don't think you want to keep on talking in the synagogue. It's not right. It's not something that 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 should be done at all. A synagogue is for a prayer. It's the house of God. It's a it's a, it's a, it's a mini We can't possibly come and start talking about. Any kind. Well, we know sometimes they talk about the stock market, the house, the real estate. Well, please. You want to talk? There's always a lobby in the synagogue. Go outside in the lobby. Go talk over there. Why do you insist on talking in the synagogue itself? Rabutai. I hate to say this, but you know, it's the truth. A few weeks ago, I was in Florida, and I was in. I, I, I prayed in Ashkenaz Shul because that was the only one available where I was. Of course, it was very orthodox. There were approximately three hundred people shahrit, and they started nine o'clock. They finished twelve o'clock. Three hours. Not a peep. Not when they were praying Shahrit, not when they were not when they, 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 they were reading the Torah, not when the rabbi was speaking, not when they were praying Musaf, nothing. If anyone dared to speak, the Gabai comes and tells him very nicely, Look, you want to speak, we have a lobby outside, go talk outside. Why can't we learn from our brothers? We should learn from them. I know. <laughs> It's it, 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 it's it's I mean it, it's bad for it. It looks bad for it. It's true. It does. But I know what's going what's going on in the synagogues here. It's asur, haram, mamnu. You cannot do it. But why do we keep on doing it? You want to talk? After Shabbat, call the guy. Talk for an hour. If it's something urgent, go talk to in the lobby, but leave the synagogue. Leave the synagogue alone. It says we have to keep the sanctity of the synagogue. The kedushah of the synagogue has to be there. 
שסינגג איזה מיני מקדש. זה מקדש מעט. Not just anything. We cannot just come in and, uh, and trample on it. And make believe, oh, you know what? Oh, we're in a club over here. We're going to be told, we're going to say anything we want. No, Rabbi, it is not right. I hope and pray that after this discourse today, you will take it seriously and see what you can do. We're talking about making an effort and doing them as well. Make an effort. A great effort if it has to be. But when you are in a synagogue, Rabotai, don't talk. Listen to the Hazan. Listen to the Torah reader. Listen to the rabbi who's talking. If we continue that way, Akadosh Baruch Hu will reward us. Then your prayers perhaps might be answered. Shavuot over Abutai. I just want to finish by saying that uh, this particular station here, which broadcasts only the Torah and so on, has to continue. We value very much your contributions. If you have been contributing, please keep on. If not, think about it. Try to contribute to it. It does a very, very important mission in our community. Let me also say that we've uh, just finished renovating um, our social hall. It's something stunning, really stunning. If you have a simha, please come. We'll be able to accommodate you. We can fit in a little over 400 guests. It's a beautiful place. And the price is very reasonable. Shalom Aleichem, Shavuot Tov Lechem.